Hello everyone, how are you? Glad to hear it. You've tuned into the Witch Car Weekly podcast, a discussion of the hottest topics from the past week in motoring. My name is Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor, and today I'm joined by the big boss of Wheels Magazine, Alex Inwood. Wow, that makes me sound really impressive. Thank you. Very impressive. And Wheels' newest recruit, online editor Alex Ray. Hello, everybody. Also known as A-Ray to keep things simple in the office. Absolutely. Otherwise, there's two Alexes, and two Alexes don't make a right. (laughs) Welcome to the family, A-Ray. Today, we'll be chatting mandatory speed limiters, April Fool's jokes, and airbags. But first up, Alex, that's Alex Inwood, has been driving something rather unusual in Alex. Alex... What is a rodent? A rodent? Well, that's actually quite a loaded question. Uh, rodent is a car company. It's been created by an Aussie who, sick of the uh, heavy-handed regulations and heavy enforcement by the police here, has gone to New Zealand and set up his own high-performance car company with the goal of creating the world's fastest track car. That's a pretty lofty ambition. Very very lofty. Mm, it is. And the result is something that looks pretty much... Well, it is a Formula One car. It has all of the cues that Daniel Ricciardo would make him feel right at home. So it's got huge slick tyres, lots of wings that create lots of downforce, a steering wheel with plenty of complicated buttons and all sorts of things. Uh, so I went across there to see what's going on, see how they make the car, because they build a lot of the components themselves. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to actually strap in, turn over the big uh, Cosworth V8 and fang around their circuit and see what's what. So you mentioned a Cosworth V8. I can actually see a picture of the Rodent on your T-shirt for those who can't see at home. So give us some numbers, some power, downforce, speed. What are we looking at here? So basically, it's a Formula One car from 2011 or 12, thereabouts. It's based from that era. In a previous life, this car was actually the Lotus T125, which was from the Danny Baha era, which was a bit of a failed project. <laughs> Danny um, Baha. Yes, indeed. So uh, Lotus was trying to get out of it, basically. Um, heard wind that um, David Dicker, who is the Aussie in charge of Rodin, was looking to do something a bit unhinged, called him up and said, hey, mate, do you want to buy this? And he's gone, yep, sure, ship it all over. So a shipping container arrived with about five or six partially complete Formula One cars. Mm -hmm. He's put all the rest of them together. And the result is a machine with 503 kilowatts, Yep, which in the number is, is quite a lot. Made more so when you realise that the car weighs 590 kilograms. That's seriously, that's a lot lighter than a current Formula One car. Yes, it's crazy. So, look, the fastest road car I've ever driven was a McLaren Senna. That has a power-to-weight figure of around 430 kilowatts. Mm-hmm. This one has 830 kilowatts. So when you get quite deep into the throttle pedal, it's... We, we filmed a video for it for Witch Car TV, and most of it's just me squealing like an absolute girl because it's a little bit terrifying. <laughs> so, okay, so a car with that sort of performance is completely outside the realms of anyone... Like, even drag racers would know that performance, but then you're on a... You're on a strip, Mm. so to actually drive that car on something with corners Mm. and, you know, straights and to be able to see a braking zone and stuff like that, what's the first sort of... What's the first sort of feelings you're going through when you're getting into it and trying to get up to speed? Intimidation is the first one. (laughs) And that started, like, even before I'd left Australia because 
you know, you see Formula One cars, when they let go, they let go big time because mm-hmm. they have so much downforce and so much grip that when you run out, it's very sudden. Mm-hmm. And there's that old wives' tale, you know, to make these cars work, you have to be going at a level where there's heat in the tyres, there's heat in the brakes, and enough air actually rushing over the car to push it into the ground to deliver the level of grip and performance that you need to go quickly. Were you able to achieve that level? Was it harder to achieve that level than you thought? Or how, how did it go? I don't know. I'm one of these people that build things up in my head. Yeah. Like, I'm a bit of a doomsday, you know, <laughs> that way. Um, I was thinking I was going to really struggle. But I did okay. Yeah. I um, spent quite a lot of time in the car and the program over there. So if you buy one of these cars, that's the thing. They're building these cars for people to buy them. Um, it's a 615,000 US dollars before taxes and deliveries and all that extra stuff. Uh, so it's about, I don't know, 850 Aussie thousand dollars. Can you have it any, in, in, in any colour you want? You can indeed. Ooh. So uh, they will paint it any colour you want. The default team colours for Roden are black and gold. It's mm-hmm. really quite cool. It's like very, an old... Very JPS. Yes, it is. It's really, really quite cool. Um, so you go over there and they walk you through this program. You don't get thrown straight into the deep end. Like, here's a Formula One car, go and crash it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put you into a Clio, Renault Clio Cup car first. That would be fun. That is fun. Yeah. I didn't actually drive that. They Aww. started They started me in the next one, which is a McLaren um, 570S GT4. That would also be fun. It is fun. <laughs> um, slick tires, roll cage. It's a proper sort of GT racer. Must have been a terrible day. Oh, it was bad. It was two days, actually. Two days? Yes. Oh. I know. Um, did you get the old network out thing? Is that, is that, did you feel sore at all after you'd been driving this thing around? Yeah, that is the thing, right? Because your head's kind of the only thing sticking out there, and uh, you've got a helmet on it, and when you get lots of G-force on it, it's kind of like your head's been trying to be pulled off your shoulders. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't actually that bad. I don't know if that's because I wasn't pushing hard enough, um, but the biggest thing I felt was kind of in my butt, actually, uh, because they will 3D print you a seat Mm -hmm. if you buy the car so that you are, you know, it's fit for purpose, totally bespoke to you. But uh, I didn't um, have enough time over there for them to 3D print me one. So I was in somebody else's seat and they were a bit larger than I was. So I was being thrown around a little bit. But the whole program is just insane. Like, it's not only the car, which, like, the, the cornering forces are crazy. It's just... You have to recalibrate your brain to see how fast you can actually tip the car into turns. Mm -hmm. And of course, the straight line performance is like unlike anything else I've ever driven before. You go past half throttle and it's like a roller coaster. It's (laughs) totally amazing. And you've got this big V8 that's kind of hardwired to your spine. But that's not even the most, you know, this rodent story. It's incredible because I was expecting to go over there and kind of find a bit of an unhinged Aussie with big lofty plans an old Formula One car in a shed. Yeah, yeah not nailing one together like in his, in his garage or something like that. Yeah, something... So it sounds like a proper operation. It really is. He's um, got 1,500 acres over there. He's built three circuits, um, built his own circuits. Uh, hasn't had anybody else design them or build them. He designed them himself, bought the excavators and bulldozers. Did you do a good job? all the tarmac. He did a really good job, actually. Yeah, okay. um, kudos to him, David mm-hmm. Dicker. And he's hired a lot of really intelligent young people as well. So he spent a lot of money on buying some um, 3D printing machines. So they 3D print all of their own components, most of them in titanium. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's like a mini McLaren Technology Center. It's amazing. Yeah, wow. So it's getting, getting, getting back to the car. So when you strap in, you're like, you've built it up in your head. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit the same because if you build it up to be terrifying, mm. the reality is often 
a little bit easier, mm. but still you're going into this alien environment. So they strap you in the car. You've done your sort of preparation laps. You know where the circuit goes. You're strapped into this thing. You leave pit lane. Do you stall it? Do you like what happens? <laughs> do you do you? Is it easy? You're off off and away or? I didn't stall it, thank goodness. That's good. um, they did give me a push, which helped. So that oh, kind of right. the initial like go karting. They gave you a push <laughs> yeah. start. <laughs> now that was a big uh, big confidence boost, and it's. You kind of get in these things and you see them, you only see like the head popping out. So you think the vision must be actually, you know, quite restricted, but it's brilliant, actually. It's kind of panoramic. You can see not just the top of the tires, but you can see nearly two thirds of the tire, Mm -hmm. a lot of the suspension components. And unlike a car where you're a traditional car where you're on one side in a single seater, you're smack bang in the middle of the action. And the steering's quite light. Um... It didn't take me long to start to feel quite comfortable, actually. In fact, the big F1 car was easier to drive than the Formula 3 car, which is a smaller car that they put me in beforehand. It was a bit more refined. The engine was had a lot more um, torque down low, so that was a big help, and it didn't knock me around as much. Because that's the key thing, isn't it? Because if you've got the money to buy one of these things, you're probably not a race driver. You want a bit of a toy, Mm. so it's no good selling it to people for them to go out and not feel like no matter how fast they're going as long as they feel like they're getting something out of the car yep. so it sounds like that that's mission accomplished you regardless of whether you are two seconds or 20 seconds off the pace you felt like you were getting something out of the car correct and a lot of that is um kudos to Roden because apparently the lotus t125 was a little bit of a nasty so-and-so mm. on the limit. Jeremy Clarkson famously yes. drove it and uh, said, I hate this, I don't like this. <laughs> uh, but they changed You're just better the... than Jeremy Clarkson. Uh, I do not think so. But um, <laughs> they changed the dampers. They put Olin dampers in, okay, which yep. made a big difference. But the Formula One car isn't even the craziest thing they're building. This is like a stepping stone to the car that they're really planning called the Roden F-Zero. I've seen pictures of it. I've seen a full-scale mock-up of it. It's like a... A fighter jet canopy with wheels. So it's, yeah, it's, and its purpose is to be faster than a contemporary Formula One car. So faster than the car that Daniel Ricciardo drives on the weekends. Okay. And for a cool, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be over a million dollars probably. You can buy it and drive it. Interesting. So for the the car they've got at the moment, the Roden, does it have a name? It does. It's called the FZ. Okay, the Roden F said, like 615 grand is a hell of a a lot of money, but it's in a sphere with quite a lot of actual competition for these, you know, for these billionaires playthings. You've got Mm. Ferrari FXK, McLaren Senna GTR, you know, the Brabham B252. So I guess from your point of view, or even if you wanted to buy a GT3 car, it's kind of similar money. So would... Would you take the plunge? Do you think, is it accessible enough that people would want to have one and use it? I was a little dubious to begin with because it, you're right, it has, they're going up against McLaren, Ferrari, mm. Koenigsegg. You know, these are huge companies with proven track records. Uh, and I was a bit dubious because with these toys, you kind of want to race them or you want some, mm. some kind of benchmark, right? Uh, and there's no real category. You can kind of go to a track day and fang around faster than everybody else, but so what? You do that yeah. once or twice and you'd be like, yeah. okay, I'm over that. Yeah. There is a f- category they're trying to get up called Formula Libre, I think, or okay, yep. however you pronounce it. Which is basically that. run what you brung in terms of open wheelers, that sort of thing. Correct. Yeah. And this car is eligible for that, so okay. that's good. But it's a step beyond anything else I've ever driven. Senna's, um, Ferrari's, it is in another stratosphere. It sounds quite wild. Well... Full feature coming up in a future issue of Wheels, so mm-hmm. you can be able to read all Alex's thoughts in depth. Uh, let's move on to something a little less stratospheric. 
and basically the complete opposite in terms of topic. Uh, Alex Ray, tell us about mandatory speed limiters. It's been in the news in Europe and it's come to Australia's news outlets. So what's happening with all this? Yeah, this is a very interesting one. Um, basically what is happening is that in Europe uh, they've set a new new legislations come through that basically means any new vehicles going on the market in uh, from May 2022 uh, will have to have certain safety features on them and that includes a speed limiter uh, amongst other things like a safety recording black box to see if the driver was distracted when they were driving um, but the big one's a speed limiter which um, we were able to confirm Wills was able to confirm earlier this week uh, is coming to Australia as well so we'll basically mirror much of what Europe is doing in the next five years and we'll be bringing those safety standards into Australia. Okay, so how's this going to work? It's only going to be fitted to new cars? It will only be fitted to new cars. So from 2022, if a new model comes onto the market, it has to have this safety standard technology in it. Uh, Any of the current vehicles on sale from uh, 2025 will need to have it fitted by by then, basically. So uh, all vehicles you buy... All, ve- all vehicles that you uh, buy in the market uh, will have to have this safety technology in it. Wow. Just a quick question, just to clarify here, though. So speed limiter, we're not talking about governing the absolute maximum speed of the car, are we? We're talking about the car can recognise what the speed limit is on a certain road and won't let you go beyond the speed limit. Yes, good point. That's correct, isn't it, Alex? So it, it, does, it, it can, does it know where it is through sat-nav and then adjust its speed, or does it say you can only do 120 kilometres an hour at all times. Yeah, this is where we start to enter a, a very interesting can of worms uh, where it uses a variety of different technologies, including GPS and um, speed sign recognition, mm-hmm. or technology that you can find in some vehicles now on the market, but it doesn't mean that it's accurate and that uh, that brings questions, particularly in Australia where this technology is a step behind where it is in Europe. Mm-hmm. How is this going to work here? Is it going to be accurate? Um, if you're passing under different freeways and the GPS is getting confused on which speed sign and which speed limit is it meant to be in with your car, slam the brakes on. So mm-hmm. you're doing 100 in a 100 kilometre an hour zone, go under a bridge and it's 80, 80 kilometres per hour on top and then all of a sudden the car's confused mm. and, you know, it's it's telling you, okay, we have to slow down to well, 80 I think right we've all, now. With all driven cars, um, you know, even the best technology, which is probably in the, like, the latest S-Class and stuff like that, you drive it along and probably, you know, maybe 60 or 70% of the time, in the best case scenario, it gets it right. Otherwise, it thinks it's 80 when it's 100 or it thinks it's 60 when it's 80 or something like that. So that's a great point. Does the, if the car has control over the braking and the speed, mm. you're going to want to get it right. Absolutely. And roadworks and school zones and um, shopping zones uh, where, you, you know, there's different times of day that you need to slow down. What happens? And what happens if the car gets it wrong and there's an accident? Who's at fault? So Alex, Alex Inwood... Theoretically, say they get all their software engineers together and they're really clever and the system works perfectly. Does that make it a good idea? I think it's very hard to argue that it's not. And that goes against the grain for me and probably Mm -hmm. for all of us and for probably most of our listeners because we all enjoy driving. We all enjoy cars. Mm -hmm. We think we've been given a driving license for a reason. We're trusted to be out there on the roads, to Mm -hmm. drive at a level and at a speed that we feel is safe for the conditions. Um, so to have that taken out of our hands is a negative for us. Yes. Um, however, turn your enthusiast brain off mm. for a second. Uh, what is the counter argument to, well, why do you need to go faster than the speed limit? 
I'm sure the government will be mentioning the uh, $1 billion revenue hole. <laughs> that, that <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, well, yes. Hopefully it means we speed less, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, what is the argument for you need to go faster than the I mean, speed that's a good point. It's, it's, will it save lives? Absolutely, because, you know, I think regardless of whether it's speed or drink driving, whatever, the main factor in road crashes is human error. So therefore, if you're taking, that's why we're on this path to autonomous vehicles, because then if you remove the riskiest variable in a car, which is invariably the driver, Mm. you're going to make it safer. So it's hard to argue against. Um, I guess the problem is that, I guess the only argument is that does it address the root cause? Like people crash because essentially they're not very good drivers in general. Correct. And they're not driving to the conditions or to their abilities. So to draw a direct line between speed and car crashes Mm -hmm. is pretty easy, but it's certainly not a black and white issue, is it? There's lots of... Lots of, com- lots of factors that come into this equation. And Wills has actually spent a lot of time over the previous years campaigning against, the- campaigning against this sort of draconian view that speed mm. is the killer here. Um, obviously, speed is a factor. Yes. Where if, you, if you're doing five kilometres an hour and you have a fatal accident, speed is a factor. Yes. You're moving. That's right. Um, but it is not the evil factor that everybody is painting it out to be No, the that's time. the thing. I mean... Say if a car just had a speed limiter, but because uh, I guess my point is, we've seen with some of the uh, some of the autonomous systems coming in that the more you help out a driver, the easier it is for us humans to switch off. Correct. I mean, Mark Webber came out recently that you know saying our speed limits are too low, and regardless of whether that's correct or not, the fact that you're not engaged means you are more likely to engage with the radio or your phone, or you know you shouldn't. But you're human, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so my guess, my the only counter-argument is, is this just going to lead to people spending even less time focusing on the road? Because then that's the thing, your car might be limited to 80 kilometres an hour, and it's doing 80 kilometres an hour. But then if you're looking at your phone or looking eating a burger or something, and you're waving, weaving across the footpaths, then it's still dangerous. It's still a problem. So I think that's what you're getting to in that it's hard to argue against this technology, but it seems, again, like... If we slow cars down, no one's going to get hurt, which isn't really the problem. And if you take that to its logical conclusion, if you slow cars down to the point where they're safe, we won't move. Yeah, exactly. We don't. We won't have cars. We shouldn't exactly. have cars. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if the Hume Highway was thirty kilometres an hour, no one would probably ever die in it. But then no one would also get anywhere. We're steering towards a, another discussion topic here, which yes, is the root, root of the cause is driver training. Yes. Uh, improve the quality of um, people's driving ability. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a direct correlation in uh, road crashes, I believe. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's a topic for a, probably a whole podcast in itself. But for me, it's always a case of it seems so strange that we're spending like trillions and trillions of dollars on this new technology, these autonomous cars, these clever radar systems. When like actually giving each new driver a comprehensive driver safety education wouldn't be that expensive. You know, it, it would be expensive sure you have to set up the systems and all you know set up the trainers but compared to the money that's being spent you know revamping the entire net road network to accept these autonomous cars mm. it's a drop in the ocean but no one wants to talk about it but anyway we'll talk about that perhaps on another podcast uh before we move on we'll give a quick plug out to which car tv our tv show that is part of the bow media network this week it's episode 11 we're already halfway through the first season wow and it's all about hot hatches I believe you're involved in this, Alex. Uh, the Hot Hatch Mega Test. Uh, mm. Do you want to spend a, a, a minute just 
giving the idea, uh, giving the listeners an idea of what they can expect. Sure. Well, I was involved, but I actually wasn't in front of the camera. Maybe I do have a face for radio. I don't know. No. But um, it's a lovely face. Daniel Gardner is kind of uh, leading the charge here. He's um, often involved in the podcast. We all know him. Uh-huh. He's a lovely chap. Uh, and what it was, Wheels Magazine got together, I think it was 12 of the best hot hatches currently on sale at the moment. Uh, we took them to a circuit called Haunted Hills and basically had a terrible time throwing them around, seeing what's what. We had a professional driver there, uh, Renato Lomberto, the fastest name in uh, motorsport. Renato Lomberto. Yep. Uh, he had a great time. <laughs> He's actually time. a dinky diocese bloke. He's a really nice guy, <laughs> but there's Renato Lomberto. Drives Ferraris on the weekends. He does, uh, he's yes. A good guy. Great uh, driver as well. So he set some lap times for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to find out what the best hot hatch is for your money right now, you'll have to watch the program on Sunday afternoon. That's right, on uh, 10, or you can be able to catch it on 10 play, and uh, Noel Faulkner will also be appearing this weekend, who goes on a road trip with a Jaguar I-Pace, and mm. road trips and electric vehicles yeah, how far in Australia <laughs> don't often go too well. So if you want to find out what happens, tune in this weekend. Let's move on to April Fool's jokes. I want to talk about April Fool's jokes. Every year... On April 1st, all these press releases land in our inboxes. And if you're like me, you just grimace and delete it immediately. But am I being too harsh? These car companies come out with some far-fetched idea of this new model that's all a big joke. And I think people pretty much see through them immediately these days. But is there any value in this? Or should they just stop it and step away from their keyboards? Mm, Interesting to hear your thoughts on this, A-Ray, because I'm kind of siding with Scott I cringe. I think it's a waste of time. There's only been through history, I think, only a few that have been, you know, genuinely clever. Yes. yes. Um, the rest of them are kind of like, oh, stop it, please. Oh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely terrific. <laughs> Do you? No, no it's, it's, awful. it's awful. Then you're an idiot. <laughs> There's thought... no room for other opinions on this podcast. I'm part of the team now. Yeah. No, it, it is. I, I think it's a cringe. At least have a year off, please. I mean, that, let's. That I'll run nice. you through a couple of the ones that came out this year, just so you can get an idea, If in case you've missed it. So Toyota came out with the Pi Ace convertible, which was a convertible high ace with a pie oven in the back of it. I'll just butt in quickly there. What I, what I really love about that press release is they put April Fool's in the press release title just in case anybody didn't realise... They were joking. Well, that was the problem with that Hyundai Santa Fe convertible that Hyundai built to shoot an interior bit for video. They cut the roof off one, but customers rang them up and wanted one. So <laughs> You have to save people from themselves. <laughs> you do, yeah. The Audi uh, released the B-Tron SUV, uh, powered by Honey. B-Tron, Honey. Oh, oh. hilarious. Uh, Com- uh, Holden brought back the Commodore Hatch Hutch. Uh, back in the mm. 70s, you could buy a tent kind of thing that went on the back of your Tirana. That was uh, kind of cool, actually. I guess so, That's but I would have thought in Holden's current position, reminding people of what they used to build, oh. maybe wasn't the smartest. It was, surely it was just like a red rag to a ball to all the <laughs> internet commenters that are trying to ignore. <laughs> I must say that Hyundai, Hyundai's was actually quite cool. It was a rear-wheel drive convertible mx 5 kind of thing that, uh, built under their performance brand. You actually look at it and went, hey, that's cool. I'd drive that. That's fun. Um, they may, maybe they were using it as a test bed for whether the idea had legs or not. I actually quite like that one, but still, it's still dumb. I reckon I put it on Twitter that if they're going to bring out one of these stupid models, they should be forced to put it on sale. They should be forced to make like five <laughs> or ten thousand of yeah. them. Yeah, if you yeah, if you're going to come up with this dumb idea, put your money where your mouth is and actually make it and lose a heap of money. Well, my favourite one, and I think this was an April Fool's joke, was it the BMW M3 Ute? 
Yes, yes, yes. And they yes. actually did make that. They did make that. Yes, it was. Uh, it was a real one. So I've actually got a. There have been a few good ones. Uh, one I missed last year, which I thought was actually quite cool, was the Porsche Mission E Tractor. So they gave Porsche started out building tractors. Mm-hmm. So they've made an electric one with seven hundred horsepower. I went. That's kind cool. of cool. It looked kind of funky. They, so it looked like an old tractor, but white with these big white wheels, like a Mission E. It was kind of cool. Uh, as you say, the E ninety two M three Ute, fully functioning M three Ute. That what was is not cool. to love there? Oh, mm, perfect. It's just on. like a. Flash German Malou, really, isn't it? Oh, man, Malou. As a, bath, as a Bathurst oh, boy, that man, must Malou. be a... <laughs> oh, um, and that car actually exists, and I think Top Gear magazine actually went to go and drive it, and the BMW had no idea what they're on about. They're like, but why do you want to drive this? It is a joke. And they're like, no, no, we love it. It's amazing. Please <laughs> let us drive it. Imagine uh, the skids. Oh, skids oh, for days. And the noise. Oh. And the noise. Oh. And uh, there was another one, but now I've uh, forgotten to write it down. But... So, but that's the thing. Over like the last decade, there's been like two good ideas and they actually existed. So I think, please stop. Please stop. Just stop. Make make something else. Make a donation to charity or something on April 1 instead of wasting our time. No one cares. That's my rant. <laughs> that's my rant. Anyway, let's finish off with quite a serious topic. WA has uh, started cancelling registrations for vehicles that have not had their Takata airbags replaced. Uh, anyone an expert on this, or should I, Alex? Cover Alex Ray. You cover us off on this. Do you know? Yeah, about yeah. the Takata. Absolutely know about the vehicle? Takata airbags. Um, hopefully, most people in Australia know about the Takata mm. airbag issue. Which, um, if you don't go to howsafeismycar.com.au, I think that's either howsafeismycar or howsafeisyourcar. Yeah, .com.au, yes. um, or just Google Takata airbag, or does my car have a Takata airbag? Because potentially you have a car which has an airbag in it, which is now faulty um, and can kill you if you're in an accident. Yes. Even if you just bump into the garage wall at home, you could die. Um, very serious issue. And so and do it, please. Type it into Google. Yeah, don't um, run into your garage wall. Oh, no, no. Type yes. it in. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to test if it yeah, works. Yeah. Yeah, don't set off the airbag to see if you've got a Takata airbag. Head to the computer. Yeah, that's right. Step away from the car. That's right. That's right. But there's, um, like, there's uh, is that a million vehicles in Australia? More than, more than a million vehicles. Yeah. So, it's massive. It's and huge. Aussies are genetic, you know, generally quite lazy with this kind of stuff yes. or disconnected. And car companies have been trying for what feels like years now yeah, it's been to contact while. these people to replace the airbag for free, mm-hmm. uh, but it's proving extremely difficult to get a hold of them. It's remarkably, it's remarkable the resistance to this, and it says something about human human nature. You've got this thing that could, you know, through no fault of your own, mm. seriously injure you or kill you. But people, I've seen some arguments in that they don't want to have their dashboard ripped apart and put back together because their car won't be the same. And I, you know, on one level, I can understand that, but. It's going to kill you, potentially, so get it replaced. Um, and it will be interesting because uh, a couple of states have floated the idea of saying we will cancel registration. I think South Australia, maybe New South Wales, but WA has been the first to actually go and do it. So that will force people to do it. But, um, I mean, should they? Should they? is this a good idea? Should they be forcing people to do it given their uh, antipathy towards the idea? Yeah, I think I think it's a good idea because um, when we talk about laziness, uh, a couple of years ago, Honda sent out a letter to all of the owners of a car with a Takata airbag after numerous attempts attempts to uh, to get in contact, and it had had a diagram of the airbag going off and shrapnel. Because what happens is this faulty airbag it goes off and metal shrapnel can go through the cabin 
and it went through someone's head and they died in Sydney. It's mm-hmm. very tragic. They sent a diagram explaining this to owners saying, you know, if you've got this car or you've got this car, you need to go and get it fixed free of charge. Um, and people scrunch it up and put it in the bin or, you know, just put it under some papers and don't fix it. And crazy, they can sell that car and someone else can buy that car yeah. and mm. drive down the road and, you know, the inevitable could happen potentially. Yep. So, yes, they shouldn't be on the road. Um, they're ticking time bombs, really, um, death traps. There's two different kinds of Dakota airbags. The alpha ones are the ones which are the most deadly. Um, there's not a heap of them around on the road, but they should all be fixed or they shouldn't be um, on the road letting, you know, potential innocent die. Yeah, I'm in favour of this decision, I think, because mm. the way I see it, the car should be unroadworthy. Yes. So it shouldn't be on the road. Take it off. And if this is a way to force people to do that, to fix it, then it can only be a good thing. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, if you put a big metal spike on everyone's wheels, on everyone's yeah. steering wheel, and said, would you drive this car to work? They'd all go, hell no, I'm going to catch the bus, which is essentially what they're doing. Mm. They, uh, you just can't see it. It's a big invisible spike that pot- potentially could uh, not, you know, physically, as Alex said, it's a shrapnel issue, but, you know, you mm. are in serious harm potentially. So go and get it fixed, and then if the other states do follow and cancel your rego, you won't have to worry about it because your car will be fixed and safe. So that's, uh, Alex, you got one more thought? Yeah, one more thought. Um, we, we did touch on New South Wales, South Australia and Queensland want to follow Western Australia's, or looking to follow the Western Australia's lead. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, Victoria have taken no action. Yeah, okay. Um, yet. Which is a bit, yet. Yeah. Well, yeah, yet, but four Unless states have, and yeah. how many vehicles are registered in Victoria? You know, that's a lot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and we don't even have roadworthy um, checks yearly down here, no, which no. coming from New South Wales blew my mind, where yes. you have to go and get a, it's called a pink slip or a green slip, yeah. I think, where you actually have to uh, get your car checked to make sure your tyres aren't, you know, as bald as your grandpa. Um, but down here, you can be driving yeah. around and whatever you want, basically. Absolutely. Um, and it also gives you the fantastic opportunity in New South Wales to race for pink slips. <laughs> yes. So then you can actually race for big clips. Fast, fast and furious style. Yeah. yeah. You Dom Toretto? Nah, I'd be like Jesse. Oh, but he dies. Does he? Yeah. No. He gets gunned down out the front of his house. He can be Toretto with the big oh, guns. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No one Alex needs to tune in. Paul Walker. Oh, but he yeah. also dies. Yeah, but he dies Come in real on. life. That's yeah. no good. <laughs> this is getting okay, you can be leaving. Anyway, we're getting <laughs> off topic. We'll, uh, okay, who, which... Which Bauer employee is which Fast and the Furious character? We'll cover it in a future episode. But we'll sign off for now. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, uh, Alex. Uh, And we'll see you next week. My name's been Scott Newman. I'll see you next week on Which Car Weekly.